Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You're with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, to celebrate our first day on the visual airwaves, we also had to have in an exceptional painting talent so we could see his works and discuss them and interpret his masterpieces and ask him to interpret his masterpieces right here live on TNT. Todd DeCercio is an American artist who has lived and worked in Brooklyn, New York, USA the past two decades. His drawings and paintings address the exodistortions inherent in the patterns of displacement and excess strewn across American society. Have we had any of that displacement and excess in American society lately? I believe we have. He must be inspired. Finding truth in portraiture he utilizes technology both spiritual and psychoanalytical to create images that become words stories bands armies of personal mythology striving against the ordinary Cercio seeks miracle in the spectacle hopefully this spectacle will contain a miracle todd welcome to the show you got a miracle for us how you doing my friend yeah thank you thanks for having me Oh, there's miracles every day. They're tiny. You know, you have to know it when it happens and you just allow it. <laughs> is is being an artist is like almost like being a miracle hunter, right? Because uh, in order to, you know, you're you're essentially throwing paint on a canvas or spray painting or doing whatever you're doing. But it's a, it's really like uh, in the nuts and bolts of it, an ordinary activity. And so you're sort of trying to alchemize something uh, miraculous out of the ordinary. Yeah, that's the expression of it, right? I mean, you're taking your experiences every day, your observations. It's really, it's important to be a good observer in it all. And uh, I, I tend to think that the more rudimentary and crude the tools are, uh, the better the expression. And then you could build on that and work through it and you're just kind of but you're always using some form of subtraction right to create composition so you're you work through something and then you'll kind of scale it back and and build up again and those waves just keep perpetuating in the work and that's a lot of how i work on a, on a daily basis why do you think uh, the tools being more rudimentary makes the work better I don't know about better. I I just feel that for me, it, it just gives me a more uh, a more pure way of of relating to it. Uh, you know, in a sense, um, you know, I think painting is as as old as time. You know, and it's from back on like cave drawings, and I feel that we, you know, you're scrawling away at something. I mean, even like your fingernail can can make a mark you know, in a painting that that's just you, that's just something happening and you had to react and that had to happen. Didn't necessarily have to come off the tip of a brush. Right. Yeah. It's funny with painting. It's a performance that no one sees while the performance is occurring, but they see the result of the performance. Do you ever think about it along those lines? I do. And I've, I've seen you work through a lot of that in your performance because you've worked through you've painted while you performed 
So my work, I just, I'm reacting to performance in real time. So it's like this dogma in a sense of a very strict process that's derivative and it, and it happens in real time during and you are doing both of those things at once that I've I've seen you do it in the past. It's it's nothing short of extraordinary. I love it. Well, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's a, it does you know seem like quite a magic trick on some level, but it's interesting because I feel that the subconscious then has a clear pathway in terms of if I'm painting and singing at the same time, then I I have no more mental energy to think at all. I have to just be sort of completely viscerally reacting you know but we both paint live what do you think is the difference between a live painting and a studio painting for you I mean for me I get to me a live painting is collaborative the energy of the room the people of the room they get into the painting it is, it is I could not do paintings I do live in my studio and I've tried I've just tried exactly the same uh quick visceral not thinking and it doesn't look the same it, it has a very different thing is that the case for you when you paint live no absolutely uh you know when I first started doing it I went after bands that I felt were making sound that I was using in some capacity to create marks uh, on my paintings so I was I went after those bands and I said I want to I want to paint live with you, but not in the sense of the proverbial circus. I wanted to uh, just kind of be out of sight, out of mind, but I wanted to have create, see if the reaction could create a dialogue between what was happening visually uh, to their music and then, and vice versa. So I was, I was essentially going after their portraits because in, in my work, I mean, I feel like I just, I'm just completely working through portraiture over and over and over whether it's you know landscape animals people humanoids whatever happens it just comes through i'm i'm there doing it but when the music was involved it felt like i was kind of working through it in some capacity i felt there was something there so that's how it really all began for me and that's what made it keep growing because i just kept going after those bands and i realized that each one was different there was a different type of mark being made and it was super subtle, but it was happening in each in each band, in each concert. So it made it fun and interesting at the same time and allowed me to have space to grow into it. When you say you're constantly working through portraiture, does that mean like when you say portrait, like a portrait, a face or something like that? So even when you're painting a landscape, it's sort of a portrait spread way out or something like that? Is that what you mean? I feel like... I, you know, I guess I tend to define portraiture as all things only because of the humanity that I insist be involved in my work. I don't personally in, in my work, I don't feel I can even exist to, to create marks unless I'm like using humanity and, and bringing it to life somehow uh, through the work. It's, it's so important. So when I see work that's devoid of that or, or just people striving to take that out of their work that's it that's something unto its own um but i just can't do it so everything becomes portraiture you know it doesn't matter what i'm looking at i'm going to paint a portrait of it <laughs> in some way now you have this beautiful studio right there behind you and i see some paintings leaning against the 
Well, I mean, do you have an example uh, that you could bring out one of those paintings where you show us the humanity and what you mean uh, by bringing the humanity out? Sure. I mean, there's a few things around. Uh, so let's uh, let me point to this thing. I don't even know if you can see this. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love but, that. that. Hold on. There's great. one here. I'm going to move this one painting out of the way so you can see the other. Uh, Wow. So, for those on the radio, he's uh, rearranging his studio so we can see some paintings. And there's this beautiful, big red, red, blue, and dark blue, light blue, browns, some maroons, and white lines. It's very abstract, very intense. I see uh, uh, sort of the humanity in it for myself, but I wonder what you mean by that, Todd. Oh, you know, I always. You know how I work. I tend to leave a lot of it to the viewer because that's the most important thing to me. But when I when I'm drawing these paintings and I'm and I'm working, as I call it drawing all the time, we're always drawing from life at at every point, in my opinion. Uh, and I just feel that with these, I'm I'm obviously reacting to something. This particular painting, it's called "Getting to Be Stoned in the Dystopian Dungeon," and <laughs> Great title. <laughs> and it's all in spray paint. So this one was done completely with cans and on, on canvas. So the medium itself was was is something that I'm still learning a lot about and, and growing with. But I thought to just give myself that, you know, launch into it and just say, just use the cans. Like, don't mix it up go purist like I was talking about earlier and just kind of use one thing and see if how it works out, how it makes you think, how it makes you feel. Uh, clearly, there's a portrait here. There's almost a head in here. Um, there there could be other things. Um, what do you see? I see a giant profile. The light blue lines make a big nose and a mouth abstract. I see like the white X in uh, up there that's right over the eye form that's a little off to the lower left of that and the, you know the blue shadow that's what i see in it and then i see like two feet uh on a giant head um you know that that's me i always see faces and my i i go to faces a lot and i would like to graduate beyond faces did you go through a journey like that where you where you painted a lot of faces and then sort of elevated yourself out of that yeah, I feel like I started that in, in drawing with like uh, just graphite and and charcoal w real early when you're just kind of drawing from you just think you're drawing from out of your head, but you're really not. Uh, you're, you're kind of like peeling away the layers of your subconscious. You're still always trying to get there. And I feel like yeah, it comes to that. I was a uh, when I went to art school, I was a life drawing major, actually. So. I was always like with model, like every day, all day. So I could, you know, set the person up in different poses and figures. So I was more of the full figure than, and that kind of took me on a whole other journey when it became, you know, bodies in motion all the time. And I was always trying to figure out how to release them from that still setting that they were in. And when I started drawing as a young kid, um, I, I had used to uh, 
use the static of the television and I would I would attach the paper to the TV with the static and then I would try to trace what was happening uh, on the television while it was happening. I remember trying to do that to the Grammys when Michael Jackson did the moonwalk. That was like one of the more interesting moments. And then I would do it to like football games and things that I was just seeing and taking in as as a child. And um, of course, everyone else is like, get the hell out of the way of the television set, will you? But <laughs> Dude, it was, um, you're blowing the party, man. Come yeah, on. They're like, you what are you doing? Like, everyone's like, what is he doing? And so no one really gave me too much shit for it. I was, I was allowed to do it, thankfully. But it was something that always stuck with me because drawing from life is really you're you're in motion and like back full circle to the bands they're moving the whole time no one's really standing still so you have to understand how to you you kind of want to always say the most with the least you want to you want to you know make a mark that is more of a gesture than it is a static you know mark you want it to have movement in it how do you movement. do that right and that's just it's, yeah it's complicated of, because yeah it's a sim it's, it's a static image anyway yeah. a painting's just sitting there of course now we're going to talk about ai because now it doesn't have to be a static image anymore uh but yeah the limitations do help brian eno talks about uh employing limitations to uh sort of get more creative in in overcoming them and yeah so to imply motion in a still image that is a, a heck of a trick but what do you think some like you, you know you said you made the joke about people giving you a hard time putting your paper over a television set that is an unusual thing for a human being to do why, why do you think some people have these sort of creative ideas and and go for them whereas others don't where do you ever think where did that come from why did it why was i compelled to do that oh i have i have no idea <laughs> there was something I was trying to, I, I'm assuming, create and keep forever. There was something that felt like I could have this moment and do it and never forget it if I could just draw it, if I could just get it down in time. Um, maybe that, just the impermanence of life and how fleeting everything is, it's otherwise I mean, our whole, our lives are completely intangible. If you really want to break it down, your cells go, we're all just a, we're all just a clump of cells at the end of the day. That's it. It's over all these things, these that you're doing, you might as well make them mean something about the world you lived in. Uh, I guess from an early age, I was just still trying to survive. And I'm mm. still learning about that today yeah man i've been confronted with the intangibility of life in, in big ways recently i mean uh, you know my you know just visiting my family and on thanksgiving and and sort of you know they get older and and um you know it inevitably talks about you know what's coming you know we're gonna you know that that we probably will part ways soon you know uh depending on your belief system uh, i mean uh forever or until you all come to heaven but not everybody believes that um not in my family anyway so um 
you know, yeah, it is intangible. And and I was just, you know, having that that like walk up to my old grade school in Akron, Ohio at night by myself and then thinking about like, you know, this life that's passed because I'm lucky enough to be able to visit my childhood home, you know. So it's like it sort of has that intensity to it. And and you're right. I mean, the only thing I'm sort of drawn to do in those moments is write a song about it or something, capture it somehow, you know, capture lightning in a bottle, sort of thwart the intangibility of life through art. Yeah, there's some, there's there's a permanence to that because it's <laughs> yeah. you then lay the expression down. You know, you've you've done it. You've captured something. You know yeah. you have. Hey, did you walk to school? Oh yeah. We walked to school. I mean, I only I lived a block away from my grade school, man. It was You're pretty kidding me. Sort of You're in, not, in, in you middle serious? America. Uh, say what? I said you're serious. I lived at the base of the parking lot of my elementary school. Mm. So every day I would get up and I I go an hour early to school. I put up the flag every day. I put up the flag. I would then put on a safety like strap thing, orange strap, and I go out and guide buses in. Then I would walk down and be the safety for the walkers who walk to school across the street from my my driveway, my home where I grew up. And then I would go in to school. Needless to say, I was an overactive child. <laughs> you were a friend to mankind even then. Let me take a quick break. We'll be right back after these words on TNT. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system it's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I, I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's complex gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNT Radio. Live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. And we're back with Todd DeCercio, the great American artist. So I feel like um, some of the old abstract expressionistic heroes might be some of your big influences. Uh, I see like de Kooning, Jackson Pollock, uh, those type of people um, in, in your work. Is that true? I mean, not that it looks like that, 
but what are your biggest influences oh i definitely say i'm a product of like the you know it's it's definitely abex but i do feel like in a, in a way it's so influenced by realist realism and the realists and i i some of the art i mean i love i, I think about julian schnabel's work it's so diverse and since we had that time in new york and get to like really see it up up close and personal that was always fun to have around and and be inspired by um but i you know i try to obviously in school you learn so much but I, i've always tried to really let go of the attachments you get to other work um you don't see me at a lot of uh of shows because i don't like to be i feel like uh it's overstimulation in in art shows especially museum shows where it's like just tons of stuff from all kinds of genres and i tend to get like lost in that and uh i don't know if you feel the same but it's something that it just keeps happening so i'm, I'm more to myself in in the work but there's those influences are real 100 percent there's no way I'm to glad you mentioned it. I'm glad you mentioned Schnabel because he he's like obviously he's a massively successful artist and people love his work but he also gets a lot of um somehow he, he sort of gets bashed a lot people also sort of you know you know crap talk him in a way um uh, and I well, and you know with great I, praise I, comes great criticism I mean yeah but he seems to be particularly vulnerable to that I, I went down a Julian Schnabel rabbit hole recently because I rewatched uh Basquiat the movie he directed right. about Jean-Michel Basquiat which is such a good movie David Bowie playing Andy Warhol and so I ended up watching a bunch of Julian Schnabel interviews I actually got to meet him once and he uh and I it was at Lou Reed's 70th birthday party and I gave Lou one of my paintings and it was uh sitting there like leaning on a table and Julian came um walking up to it and then looked at it and just sort of was studying it and then goes uh did you do this and I said yep and he goes interesting <laughs> yeah. I well, think he liked that's, it that's, that's, I that's think a compliment. he liked it yeah <laughs> that's a compliment I guess yeah. he was feeling the fear, you know. Um, he yeah. he he is he is interesting. I've had two experiences uh, with around his work, and then meeting him um, finally in about ten years ago, I guess. But one of his shows was called Idiota. I don't know if you remember that. I think it was at Boone in this in Chelsea, and it was these giant sculptures, and I mean giant like just like one was like a tree stump with a big sign on it said idioto with like a chair hanging on one end and I mean these huge things and they were all cast in metal or or bronze probably and I remember being at the opening and Sean Penn was there and this was before I'd actually really met him because he ended up coming out to an exhibit of mine uh, later because he's a music fan and loved the live aspect but he was there and he he said he was standing next to me and we were just he and I were staring at this giant sculpture just in all of it like is this real and he was like man could you imagine putting this on your enemy's yard and like it was just too funny 
And it's just like, oh man, wouldn't that be something? Uh, I was like, he's, funny. you know, just completely out of the box stuff. And uh, that's when I thanked yeah. him for being called Spicoli my whole life growing up. And he said, oh, he yeah. looked at me smoking a cigarette indoors in the gallery. And he's like, hey, fuck you. And I was like, hey, fuck you too. And that was it. And the next time we met, he did not remember that, which I was so thankful for because probably wasn't positive, but yeah. Sounds great. I mean, you know, I mean, in Julian Schnabel, for those that don't know, I think his most famous work is the broken plates. He does these giant portraits of people and they're, you know, the, the canvas is uh, strewn with broken pa- uh, plates. Uh, yeah, the on, plate paintings. They were the plate, plate paintings. Paint, that right? that was kind of what brought him to fame, I think. And uh, yeah, and then of course then, he became an incredible film director with Basquiat, and then there was a couple others I can't remember. Paul Cantalone, our friend, did the music yeah. for those things. Yes, um, uh, Diving Bell and the Butterfly, right? That one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Diving Paul Bell and the Butterfly. I remember that. So oh, yeah. I've been w- watching your social media and you have these interesting things you're doing with like glitchy video. You're incorporating, you're showing yourself painting a little bit, but then it breaks down into this whole sort of glitchy video thing that looks real AI sort of uh, embracing uh, technology. I mean, what do you think to AI artwork, um, gener- generative artwork stuff like that i mean some of this stuff is pretty amazing and mesmerizing i've seen huge like wave paintings where they're just we were talking about capturing motion in a still image now there's motion uh, on digital images and you know they're obviously going to be legitimized in art galleries and, and museums all over the world it already has been i mean people is a is an example of that and uh I, i'm sure there's many fidenza in the nft game that's a huge one i mean what do you think to ai artwork are you planning on incorporating any of it or are you going to stay uh, uh sort of brass tacks with your work you know i definitely see what's coming on and it's 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 coming on fast and you know it could look like the perception could be it's the beginning of the end, you know, or it's a completely just another medium to work with. And and I figure it's just another tool that we have here to play with. Uh, I've been just kind of playing around in that zone. Like I'm only just like putting my toe in the water, I feel like, and not even have not had a true opportunity to work with it full scale, like with to collaborate with an artist that only does that versus what I do. You know, I'm sure there could be a a deadly blow dealt there if uh, I was able to collaborate with someone on that level. Um, I I personally obviously don't don't come from that. So that's what would make it interesting, I think, um, to see it to see it come to life. And I've, I've heard that about my work before. And we've talked about it. I've talked about it to some you know, uh, engineers that do multimedia engineers that work in the NFT world and things like that. We just never really, I never really was able to uh, kind of get it to where I thought it would work or it gets the point out or the expression that I'm looking for. So I've definitely had some uh, 
some interesting engagements, but nothing to speak of yet. And those things I'm doing like with my process that I'm kind of just playing with right now are just personal vignettes at the moment with the work that I have and that I've been working on. And they're from like process videos. I've seen these videos that are like, they're taking like a real movie scene and you can just completely reinvent it. I mean, you don't even know what it is or where it's from until they unveil it from the AI, which is crazy um, and interesting and, and breathtaking all at the same time. So there's a bit of an epiphanic uh, response to it right now. And I think that'll become commonplace with it. So, you know, one one huge advantage of digital artwork is uh, storage. I, I mean, I'm assuming you are encumbered in a brutal way with old work. I know I am, man. I, and when I move and I have to move storage spaces or this, that and the other thing, it's just endless paintings and and artwork is uh, art supplies are so expensive anyway just like and one of the slights against julian schnabel was people would be like well he's a rich guy so he can do these like sort of giant paintings and like you even described his sculptures i mean dude to put like a tree trunk and then a chair and then a stop sign that says you're an idiot and make it all brass that that costs like 30 grand dude oh. like and 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 also you have to know you're a famous artist before you're even going to do something like that you know what i mean your, but then uh, again budgets it's like, like their budgets are millions of dollars and you know i, yeah. I even have some insight and I could tell you a little story about how he makes his work. I have a friend that worked for him as one of his engineers and he literally just comes up verbally with these things as if like he's making a painting right. with words. Somebody's drawing it behind him and he's like, and I want it three stories. And the guy like rips yeah. his sheet off and hands it to the engineer. And the, that guy's responsible for creating the 3D rendering for the actual sculpture. And so it goes like three people deep and then it's it becomes manifested in a in a 3D way on like a CAD design form, I guess, or some kind of computerized setup. But they're going to have to use real objects to scan in three dimensionally and then have made and carved. It's insane. It's insane. It's just money on money. I mean, they have. Dude. You know what I just thought of Stonehenge, uh, <laughs> Spinal Tap when the, when the Stonehenge comes down and it's just tiny. <laughs> like I thought of Julian Schnabel, like having these ideas, and the first time they bring the brass thing, it's tiny. He's like, "No, I want it big." It's yeah, like, I, and I I'll bet that's that what it's like. It's got to be just like that because the maquette that they make is like this tiny little, you know, armature of it, and that's how it then gets approved and it's nuts because they do this in trenton new jersey they used to um and they still do some of that 3d work there today for these larger sculptures that travel go all over the world so it's between paris and trenton new jersey really these foundries that do this work and it's incredible it's called grounds for sculpture if you ever get a chance to visit it it is one of the most incredible grounds that you've ever seen of all these sculptures of international artists and and it's on this old piece of uh property that was the like american motor amphitheater for like when 
they would develop, we were developing motors at the time, our, our country and the industrial revolution was happening and they were bringing all this new technology here to, to show and do conventions with. And of course that went out of favor um, and this building's still there. And there's, you know, it's all studios now. It's, it's pretty wild. It's a good visit. And it, uh, it lets you know that even with that, that's Julian giving a prompt, just like you would on AI. And AI might be good for the democratization of artwork, because like you said, that these things are way out of people's hands uh, for the most part, except maybe AI is a great equalizer in that way. Um, you know, I mean, it's interesting, the, the shifts that are bound to occur now, but now anyone can come up with something that's visually interesting anyway. But and so what do you think um, in terms of between concept and execution? So how how important is the um, the sort of concept of an artwork versus just the artwork? You know what I mean? It seems like to me, big galleries value the concept of things um, almost as much as the work itself. Yeah, I guess as an artist, it's just what you're after. I, I try to work without conceptual uh, ideas because to make a body of work just in, within a concept is a whole other construct. Uh, I would rather just keep reacting to real life and and let that keep coming through and then create a body of work from those like sit back observe find the pivots and then allow them to come together to create the body of work it'll weed out all the other works that aren't necessary and you'll know when that happens um i guess if you're that clean and you can work just from a concept and and do it more power to you i'm still learning you know i i want to keep learning how to sharpen that axe but at the same time I don't want to be swayed by any uh, any concept, so to speak. Now, th that said, I, I have ideas for concepts which just involve more of the physicality of the of creating the work, like where, when, and how, as opposed to what you know it, in the work. Hmm. So, for example, yeah. like, oh, I want to have you know these three walls mean this, but on the the floors inside out, the ceilings, the floor, I don't know, but that's a concept. That's like how you would put together these things that may go together and, and be juxtaposed, you know, in, in essence. So juxtaposition, I think, is everything of a concept, too, because you have to have that balance in there and create that tension as well, all at the same time. So concepts aren't easy. I, I think they ever yeah. were. Yeah, but I don't know if like galleries, I think they just have to do that. You know, I mean, like, that's just part of the business when you say it's just they have to have a title for things. If it was not many people can just call a show untitled and get away with it, you know, and do well, that would be difficult. You know, it's one of those. Well, things I think I think. I think people like to enjoy art from all, all kinds of levels. You know, there, there's the sort of feeling, the visceral feeling of it, how it hits your gut. But then there's also the sort of dance of the mind, being able to like toy with the concept, know what it is, understand, sort of understand something that other people maybe don't. All that stuff is enjoyable to people. What about that painting behind you? I love this one, this blue one 
with what I see as a red face and then a another brown face over it playing a saxophone. This one reminds me of Basquiat a little bit. So this is another one that's done all in spray. So it's kind of been a theme uh, in a way, but I'm breaking away a little bit from the brushes to, to work with these sprays and see how my control is there and what I get out of it. This one's called, um, see it. It's called the erased crusade and the light it wrote in on. Hmm. Nice. I had caught, uh, there's a few, again, portraits in here that just are undeniable. There's like a Shiva set up in there. And there's, I, I don't know, like I was making those, the red was just a, that was just to uh, complement what I was doing with clouds on, on the other one, where you could see the, the blue with the clouds. So I said, I'll try that with the red. And I don't know, it produced this, I mean, to me, and I don't know why, maybe it's just ingrained in me, It's but it looks like a Warhol Maryland in some way. Mm -hmm. Like I, I just see it in there and I don't want to see it. That's the weirdest part. I'm not going to cover it up. It's not something I did deliberately. It just kind of happened and fell in there. And when you really look at it, you realize that it fell in there. So it's, yeah, these things just, you know, is that the repetition? Is that, you know, pop art rearing its ugly head in this situation? I don't know. It's making a miracle out of a spectacle, my friend. We'll be right back after these words on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The biggest weather news is what is about to happen in Europe. I saw another one of those pictures of Greta Thunberg protesting today. I guess today is like week 300 or something of the climate strike where kids are allowed to be truant and, uh, you know, to protest climate. But she was all bundled up and I was like, well, wait a minute. Looks awfully cold over there. And uh, were there fossil fuels used in the making of those clothes that you have on? But I want to get serious about this. The fact that we are getting such a cold blast that is coming in and this was telegraphed with those big storms and the reason you see what's going on in the weather today is because all the weathermen start screaming and yelling about climate change instead of understanding the same thing happened in 2009 and they went into the deep freeze over there. But it's a serious situation. You know why? Well, first of all, the implications of that is that the United States is going to get very cold. Now, it's cold right now, but I'm talking about what could be really cold weather, severe cold, in the month of January. Because there's probably going to be a lot of snow in the United States during the month of December, especially after the 20th. So what we saw in 2009, 2010 was Europe got it in 2009 in December. And then the U.S. had their famous Snowmageddon. And that occurred later in January and February. It'd be a little bit earlier this year, probably, looking at the overall pattern. But think about this. You're going to get that grid in Europe tested now. And especially Germany. Germany looks like ground zero for the worst weather. With most snow, it's going to be a little bit colder relative to averages up where Greta lives. But Germany is going to be in bad shape here in the next 10 to 20 days. But again, then you have to worry about the rest of the winter. You see what I'm saying? So we're going to have some things push come to shove, so to speak, coming up here over the next couple of weeks. And in fact, the next couple of months, because unlike last winter, I don't think this is backing off this year. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi 
asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Anticipate potential delays for the morning commute. In other news, a recent government report on prescription drug pricing points to corporate mouth. Freedom of the press is about your right to know. It's about your right to be informed. Your right to access all types of information keeps us free as a nation. No, 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 no. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. And your right to know about the world around us. Look. Some threats are obvious, some are easy to miss, but they all put our way of life at risk. We must defend against all of these threats, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Justified putting American troops in harm's way. That's a great question. We must protect our right to know before it's too late. Understand the threats. Protectpressfreedom.org. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And we're back with Todd DeCircio and his cat and his masterpieces talking about what it means to be an artist and <laughs> all the ins and outs of all that. But so, Todd, um, I have to say, uh, when I was, you know, going through a lot of sort of public shaming over my views on the mRNA injection, you remained a very supportive friend. You were always there with encouraging words and just very concerned and uh just very present man and i really appreciate that like what do you think the days that we've lived these last few years have done to you and your artwork and um what do you think it means uh to uh you know be an artist these days in terms of using your voice in other ways yeah i think you, there's so much to draw from now <laughs> for your art as your voice um we've obviously you know as a as a planet and together we've been hoodwinked i believe in in a lot of ways and um you know it it is what it is it be taken by you know the the bigger businesses of the world and just used so and in an effort to you know, rob people of of their freedoms, especially their freedom of choice. And that's wrong. It's just flat out wrong. So it's not anything I'll stand for. Um, you know, choice is our right in this country. Uh, so it says it's not a privilege unless you've committed a crime. So, and no one's committed a crime yet. They were put on the spot to lose everything uh, for a choice they didn't want to make and they didn't have to and they were all protected to do so and didn't realize it so that's really you know that was the the gist of it for me and in, in my uh understanding and without being too entirely political i think um that there's so much for art to to grow through again because now i even feel like new york has lost a lot of its energy in that realm because it got squashed and in my observation it appears it still has a boot on its neck holding a gun to the people's head saying to them tell me you want me and they don't have to want it and so 
you know, there needs to be a, a, a new renaissance there, and there will be, and it'll it'll come. So, but yes, and I always support my friend's choices, always. Um, I support knowledge and education and facts over advertisements and agendas and scenarios that look like propaganda in the world. So... Yes, I believe in you. You were on the right side of history. You still are. I try, man. I mean, you know, not you're not always going to be right about everything, but you, you know, there's sort of uh, you, you can feel things in your gut and you, um, I think, owe it to your own voice because we evolve through our voices. And if you repress yourself all the time, I think you stop your own evolution from occurring. But how how do you think the the last years have affected your artwork, if at all? Oh, it's just given me a lot to think about, to a lot to really draw from, to more or less reiterate why we're able to do what we do and not shut that down as a result. Yeah. Uh, there's... It's there's, a privilege. There's so much change in the air. It's it's ridiculous, and I don't, I don't say it's all good. Um, and we are in a little bit of a, not a little bit, a lot of a spiritual war, in my opinion, between good and evil. That's where we're at. We're now, it's on. You know, evil walks now, and we're seeing it play out. Um, if you know what you're looking at. Otherwise, you're just kind of going along with it. So you have to be able to react. You don't have to outwardly, you know, you know, point and laugh, but you can take all of it and just you can put it back into work. And I feel like as as an artist, we're blessed. You're blessed. I'm blessed to be able to have that type of fodder to load into the cannon. So. A hundred percent. Yeah. So we are in this war of good versus evil, evil walks, as you sort of said. And uh, I mean, I'm thinking about like the Julian Schnabel, Basquiat, Andy Warhol, go back further, Rauschenberg, Jasper Johns, uh, Pollock, you know, all these people were being like revolutionary artists, like how dare me i'm gonna splatter paint and it's gonna be amazing and it's gonna be a revolution and then basquiat with his revolution and warhol before that with his and you know we, we were we would hero worship these personalities and we would fill our days thinking about these you know these renegade figures you know and that used to sort of define uh the culture but now you know, the stakes of life on planet Earth seem to be uh, so much crazier than that. And so I'm wondering, how will art evolve to respond to that? Because, you know, you, you can only be Jackson Pollock once, you know, you can't, I can't go splatter paint on a canvas now and go, look what I did. It's wild, you know, <laughs> like, it's not wild anymore. And so I think maybe um there's a sort of new era of responsibility in art or somehow art will have to match the intensity of the times does any of that make sense 
Absolutely. And and knowing that that's happening, there's a re- there's a reality root to it all that everything is attitude and perception. What will the perception be to this new age of of art or not? Will there always be these separate marketplaces for all these different types of art? You don't hear about like movements like you did from the 50s and 60s. You just don't right. hear of it. You right. know, I remember there was a something written a, a crit on on one of my shows and they were they called it post postmodern expressionism. That's the first time I heard that my whole career. I didn't know I was part of anything like that. So, uh, you know, I, I I see it more as it's broken down to everyone's individual expression now. Movements can be interesting, though. It just depends. I, I think didn't uh, speaking of Schnabel family again, didn't Vito was part of like a, a kind of a collective that he started in New York. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, they would kind of his son, right? Up. That's his son. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They would kind of like set up and do these shows yeah. with like four or five guys. I right. haven't heard much of it since, but you know, it's interesting. It it's a, it was a great idea. It still is, I'm sure. Um, but well, we could start it, Todd. You and I, we both paint. <laughs> we could do some. We could do some collab shows. I would love to listen. What I mean, you know, the music industry was famously sort of you know silent about mRNA. You know, those of us that spoke out, uh, you know, famously got canceled uh you know but there was some of that in the art world too i i don't remember what artists i heard talking about it but i did hear uh, about uh was galleries there? like canceling shows yeah if somebody wasn't gonna like you know uh do that i think the art world was affected in a similar way so do you think that there's like this sort of boot on the neck as you say uh on, on art um as a result of the oppression that artists didn't stand up against? I think every business owner went along with whatever they were being told, even if they knew it to be completely bullshit. And coming to musicians did the exact same thing. They didn't want to lose a show. They're not going to speak their mind. And, you know, I, I don't know, dude, when it started happening, I thought it was a joke because I was like, first of all, I don't, I don't watch television, so I can't be snowed in those ways. So that was like the first thing I knew that was helping my decision be crystal clear about all of it and how much of a joke it was. Um, You know, aside from a lot of friends and that were just scared and whatever, and I can't say like it's a bigger problem. It's a bigger evil, and it would and it's it was probably all about money and control, and it still is. And I mm-hmm. think that musicians who didn't say anything, they know they can, but they probably won't. I just think they won't because they won't disturb their nest. That's like going to hurt them or somehow, you know, if they say what they think. So. I don't know that like and I didn't yeah. hear of anyone in the art world, at least no one that I knew personally. I, I hadn't heard anything 
Uh, it keeps you safe not speaking your mind but speaking your mind puts you on a journey and the journey is tumultuous but where it goes is interesting that's the that's the thing about it um it, it you know and because also life isn't supposed to just be all winning that's not really how we evolve you know that's why the biblical thing count it all joy meaning the hardships in your life count them as joy because that's actually what's growing we we only really seek god or seek our higher selves when we're when our backs are up against the wall let's face it most of us if if things are going really well yeah we might say a prayer here and there or whatever but it's when life really turns up the heat, when you really have a situation you're dealing with, that's when when you only have faith and, and you don't really have anyone else to turn to. I mean, that's an important part of evolution. Have you experienced that in your life? Absolutely. Um, just getting into this thing, you're making art every day, is immediate back up against the wall. People think you don't well you're you must be like unemployed don't have a job this is a full-time job <laughs> it was from the beginning and i you, yeah bum and, yeah bum yeah, with your paints over there in new york <laughs> you know right and and yeah so yeah you're up against it there i also never created my art for the money i didn't try anything for financial gain it was never part of why i make art so that hurt that hurts because you're not going to do a thumbnail for this project that you could make thousands of dollars off of? No, find another artist. I don't do thumbnails. That simple. Why I not, do bro? Do a thumbnail. Come on, man. We got to market <laughs> our stuff, dude. Do a oh, thumbnail. I, one of these just real small so they can see I, got, I got your thumbnails for your thumbnails for sale. Get yeah, I got thumbnails. a thumbnail. Let me get Come my nail clipper out. I'll, I'll do, give you a thumbnail. Hey, by the way. For anyone out there watching, I'll do thumbnails. I will do thumbnails for thousands of dollars. I don't even know what a thumbnail is, except for I You'll got one it. right here and one right there. That's I'll what do I it. Said. I'll they're, sell they're right out. Here. You flip it off. <laughs> All right, Todd. So, yeah, I love you, brother. I uh, love you too. Uh, go ahead. You got. You want to finish this point? No, but you better make it quick because no point I'll, to it. Just keep keep making the magic happen. It's all you can yeah, do. Yeah, man. And we'll tell everyone where to find you, how to buy your wonderful artwork. It's beautiful, my friend. I love it. I love you. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. And tell everyone where to find you and your work. I appreciate it so much, Joe. And I love you so much. Thank you. I'm at Odd DC across all the platforms. O-D-D-D-C. And uh, yeah, hit me up or whatever. Uh, there's something you want to do. I'm here. I work all day, every day at this stuff. So. Here I am. And it's beautiful. It shows, my friend. You're looking better than ever, and uh, your work looks stunning. I'm inspired. I got to I gotta up the level back here, man. I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> oh, you're way overcrowded. You got, oh, we talked about storage units. I got three. I'm sure you have more. Yeah, man. Oh, well, I probably about that many. All right. Thanks for coming, Todd. I hope you come back soon. Keep listening, everybody. We'll be back with more after these words on TNT.